0: Good evening and welcome to the TNT show, The Nation Talks. Tonight, the TNT show, The Nation Talks, to Suzanne McLaughlin. Now, Suzanne is not only an SNP activist, she's not only the founder of the Yes Bar, but she's also a committed trade unionist. She knows a lot about what happens or what ought to happen in organizations. And hopefully we'll be talking about that later tonight. Now to our guest. Tonight the nation talks to Suzanne McLaughlin. How are you, Suzanne? How are you coping um, with the pandemic?
1: I'm okay actually. I'm not enjoying it this much. And I, I use that phrase because I would quite a privileged first lockdown. It had been a very busy time just before we went into lockdown in March. And you know, it was one of those times I was thinking, oh, stop the world, I want to get off. And then you know, <laughs> oops, <laughs> the world did kind of stop. So, of course, it was the start of summer. where We were all baking banana breads and walks, exercising. You know, it, it seemed quite nice when we thought it would only last a few yeah. weeks or so. But now, obviously, that we see the you know the deaths, the illnesses, and you know, and and I wasn't undermining that at the beginning. I just mean, for me personally, it wasn't you know staying home wasn't a, a trouble in the beginning. Right. Uh, but I think, like most of us now. We've all either heard of someone who's been very ill, we've lost someone, there yeah. job losses, and it's hitting hard, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a bit more troubling, to yeah. say the least. And, uh, yeah. well,
0: I'm glad you're coping. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Tell us about your family. Tell us about Suzanne.
1: <laughs> well, um, uh, the only daughter of a, a, a single mum. My mum was a teenage orphan. When when I was born in the sixties, um, in a, a Irish Roman Catholic family in Anderson in in Glasgow, where ironically I've come back to live, two minutes from where my mum was brought up. But so I had a, a, a quite a unique childhood, um, I would say, wonderful in many ways, a, a great closeness now. But um, I certainly grew up in the late sixties, early seventies, in a, a very very poor. Poverty stricken household, to be honest. Yeah. I had a, an outside toilet till I was nine that we shared with everyone else in the, the tenement. And, you know, I was certainly um, happy. I'm not painting my childhood black, you know, but I certainly was very aware uh, that there was haves and have-nots in the world.
0: Yeah. Did you have lots of family round about? No. Uh, the reason I ask that is because <laughs> when we talked to Eddie Reader, she's our guest, she described her background somewhat similar. The difference is that she was surrounded by. An enormous extended family.
1: We Who did have our, <laughs> We did have, um, you know, I did have cousins. But see, in those days, uh, close cousins. But in those days, people lived quite far away. I mean, they only lived that side of the the family. My mum's aunt, and they lived in outside Johnston, which you know we lived in in the west of Glasgow at that point, Partick and Yoker. Anderson. Uh-huh. And that was two buses and a ferry and a and a mile walk, you know, and so, it, you know, in those days, people didn't have cars and that. So it was, uh, you know, yes, there was people there, you know, we weren't, wasn't just me and her against the world, but it, it did feel like that a little bit. And the world wasn't small yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. if you didn't have transport. But, so I, I grew up uh, like that and, you know, I had a kind of um, wonderful kind of loving childhood in, in many ways, but just a, a very poor one. I was taught, I suppose, my mother's passion was reading. She didn't have any money. And uh, so the libraries were there, the gifts of libraries. So I was taken to all with a mountain of books. And uh, I, I learned that you could go anywhere in the world. I was well sat beside the, the two-bar fire in, um, <laughs> in, in the single end and, that we lived in. So, um, And my mum was a voracious reader. And uh, her father, before he, he died, had been uh, a union rep in the shipyards yeah. um and was a, a member of the communist party. So uh, there was a one of my earliest memories is being signed the red flag um as a as a child and you know so um there was a there was a very strong and I and I, where I lived there was a very strong um sort of view that the Labour Party were gods, you know and mm-hmm. and, and indeed they were in some ways uh, at that time you know the the men like John Clayne, Maxton, you know they they gave healthcare and and night obviously they gave yeah. libraries they gave swimming pools and yeah. uh they made these things possible
0: yeah
1: um so but it was very much where i lived well you know you 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 went to the library you voraciously devoured books and there was an expectation that when you turned 16 you know you got your name in the the corporation to wait for a house you joined the labor party and you joined cnd you know that was you know so i was it was no surprise, really. I came into to politics young in life.
0: <laughs> and and what took it was that enormous uh, commitment to reading and, and knowing about the world. Did that take you into journalism or did that happen later in life?
1: Oh, much, much later in life. My mum there wasn't a situation, I wasn't really able to go to university. It wasn't really an option and it it was something that wasn't really thought about. And in, in those days, to be honest, in the, the early 80s. You didn't have to go to universities. The privileged few, and, and certainly in my circle, did. But, you know, Glasgow University might as well have been a million miles away. There was no mm-hmm. expectation that I would go there. The expectation was that I would leave school and get a job um, yeah. and, and contribute, which I did. So at that stage, you know, I had various wee bits and jobs. I was a magician's assistant and I worked in a shoe <laughs> shop very briefly um you know so you know I worked it was and you could leave a job on a Friday and being a new one on a Monday you know and uh, yeah. all my friends we all had jobs and we all we all worked and uh, and uh, went on marches and ranted and railed about Sarcher and you know, so there was a you know it wasn't a bad time it was a it was a it was a great time it was a time I look back with much fondness and um I still, still hear myself, thatcher, thatcher, milk, Thatcher. So some things have, <laughs> have, have, have lasted beyond those days.
0: Now, you you were a member of the Labour Party too. I was. Right? Yeah. I was, yeah. So what happened? Did, did, did you leave the Labour Party or did the Labour Party leave you?
1: Oh, no, I very de- Well, I was kicked out. Um, well, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> um, I wasn't kicked out of the party. I was a Labour staffer, actually. Um, funnily enough, I... I was very committed to Labour. I was I was a little bit left of Labour, but still am really. Um, But I I started working for Labour Party. Must have been early, very early twenties. And uh, I was very fortunate. Um, I had the best boss in the world, who's still one of my greatest friends and a fantastic mentor and someone I champion on a regular basis. I worked for the the one and only Tommy Shepherd. Oh yeah. So yeah, I absolutely adored him, and he was a great mentor um, and uh, really wanted young women and then young men in the party to come up and come forward. And uh, yeah, I was, but I was a wee bit, um, a wee bit too shouty. You know, I, I remember um, being in a temper, being told at conference that I was not to raise my fist during the red flag. And, you know, I was, I was young and uh, um, shouting for more and better. And uh, I was you know I got myself into a pickle and uh one time asked uh, George Robertson if he could spell socialism, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> beware the defence secretary scorned. Um <laughs> and uh eventually um Jack McConnell who was general secretary at the time said to me you know um doing his best apprentice uh, impersonation you know it was with regret, Suzanne <laughs> you're fired <laughs> <laughs> um but <laughs> I stayed um, a member of the party at that point for a wee bit of time, although much in the half. But I was I was losing uh, I was losing belief. Obviously, they, 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 in seriousness, they yeah. they were leaving me. Um, and when Tony Blair marched us into Iraq and the, I went to the the Million March in in London, and I knew it was time to go. And and I sort of lost my way with party politics, I suppose, for like like many of us in the West of Scotland for quite some time i stayed in trade unionism it was then i really started becoming more involved in local sort of feminist politics and um, and more involved in trade unionism and uh, but i left party politics for a long long time yeah so
0: presumably you were always a trade unionist in some way shape or form uh, so yeah. when did you become as it were very active in trade unionism did you actually become an official or how did it work for you?
1: No, I just always really believed it. I was, well, when I joined the the Labour Party as a staffer, it was a closed shop in those days so I had to join the GMB. And there was also, uh, there was another lovely man in, that worked in the Labour Party at that time called Noel, I forget his second name. He was, he would tell me, at that point, he seemed dangerous. He was probably forty, you know. <laughs> and uh, but <laughs> um, he talked about trade unionism, and then I could have listened to him for hours. and Leslie Quinn was uh, was my one of the bosses there as well. And you know, they would tell stories, and and of of course Tommy. So I like to read. I remember, you know, my favourite book is still was and still is uh, the the Ragged mm-hmm. Trousered Philanthropist. For me, there was this aim when I was young. When I was young, there was uh, I've I've spoken about this before, but the scheme that I grew up in. There wasn't very many ways out of that scheme, to be honest. But one of the ways out of it, um, you know, if you are a boy, you could be a footballer, or or a boxer, or a drug dealer. And if you're a girl, you could be a footballer's wife or um, an air hostess. So I t- I took the air hostess route, and uh, I was still very young when I started flying, having been unceremoniously shooed from from political staffer life, and uh, off I went to to fly the skies. And on my very first day the in those at um at that point, still run by uh, Lord Marshall and Lord King and uh but both of whom were quite big trade unionists, actually big supporters yeah. of trade unionism. Yeah. And uh, on my first day working for Bitiaries, you know, I got handed um a wee bag with my my uniform in bits and bobs and uh Handed my pension forms, which I thought was ludicrous. So what would I want to pay? No, no, I want all my money. How much can I keep for me? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I was handed uh, the trade union forms and told, you know, you'll sign all three. You know, um, and I did. And yeah, you know, I didn't really. Um, at that point, I was a bit excited with the fly in the world, um, but I was only in the company weeks when there was a strike <laughs> called. I think I'd been flying seven weeks. I was still on probation and uh, and I soon, soon realised why the reps were so keen to get us all signed up. And uh, and there was a, a strike called because British Airways at that point were proposing to bring in a a new different salary basis that new yeah. people would be brought in and it was yeah. much lower. And I had just made it, I just made it in the door before that happened. But I went to my first union meeting and they said, no, all the new entrants, because you've now joined the union and we're in this this fight, this antagonistic fight with them, they're going to backdate you onto the new this new contract and we're fighting against it. You know, my hackles rose and I phoned I some friends from the Labour Party and some multigenious friends and they were like, oh, no, 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 not that. no, you don't do that. But, you know, I had relocated to down south. I was living in a, in a, a B&B in Brighton and I'd given up, things up here and it was a the job I wanted to be doing and and it was sign this new contract or leave. So, you know, under sufferance, I did sign it. But I went on strike. And uh, and I stood at that picket line. And while um while we didn't win, I, I got a payoff, you know, I and uh but we did stop some of the things that was happening. And so um, I got a kind of baptism to fire into active. So it was the first time I'd been on strike and Like the the strike many, many years later with British Airways, maybe 10 years later, we didn't get a lot of sympathy. People don't have sympathy for your hostesses. You know, when you moan about going to Rio on Friday, people don't feel sorry for you going to your work. So, And they certainly didn't feel sorry for you going to strike then either with our our pampered, privileged life. But I've never met, um, to this day, I've never met a more solid and uh, organised group of people. Than yeah. uh, Tolly Dolly's, you know, where yeah. it's a it's a, a strong union. Yeah, and d- does
0: it apply right across the board? I mean, for example, uh, I fly Ryanair, and easyJet. Are they unionised or or not? No,
1: no. Yeah. I, 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 well, um, I'm sure but I, there has been some moves to get some of them unionised and join yeah. you know, bigger umbrella yeah. unions. Yeah. Uh, but in British Airways, we have our, we're so big, our branch it's a branch of Unite was TGWU. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it's so big. It's actually the biggest branch in Unite, yeah. um, and uh, we have our own sort of little mini union within a union called BASA. Yeah, yeah. very
0: I, I only had one experience of going on strike. I was an apprentice with Ferranti in Edinburgh, and um, there was an, an apprentices strike, which was in every respect completely crazy. It was it was called. We were not members of a union. However, one day a whole bunch of guys turned up outside the gates of this training facility and said, you need to leave. And uh, being a sort of moderate sort of guy, I said, look, can I explain a few things? If if we stay, we'll be costing the company money because they have to keep all the supervision here. They have to pay for heating and lighting and all the rest of it and meals. If we leave, they save all that money. <laughs> there was a big guy in the front of this group. <laughs> he reached across, he was six foot four. He reached across and grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and he said, Oot. <laughs> and with that, he pulled me over the, <laughs> over the gate and I, I ended up on strike. I'm <laughs>
1: <not so safe. laughs> Striking should be the law, you know. I'm awful for closed shop. So
0: uh, I'm not sure it had much effect, but it, I, I got two days off, which wasn't a terribly awful
1: thing. Well, you know, the thing is, it has, it is one of my. Red lines in my life, and I don't—I don't have many. As you get older, you know, you—you you become less. You know, there's many things you care about, but you—you—you you, you learn nuance. But I would never cross a picket line. Yeah, you know, I'm a, a good West of Scotland uh, there <laughs> You know, um, I I couldn't have I couldn't have gone home. I couldn't have gone into yeah. any of my friends' houses, and I still wouldn't. It's just not something I would consider doing. It's the worst of the worst.
0: Of How did five. you go up with the move from the middle of Glasgow to the middle of where was it? Where were you, Gatwick? Brighton.
1: Brighton, God oh, gracious, loved, it. loved every minute of it. What a time to be alive, to be young and single and fly in the world as a long haul stewardess. And the uh, oh, it was the early nineties and the time of excess. I- and uh, yeah. oh, you know, ten, off to off to New York for the afternoon, off to Seychelles for ten days. Fabulous, yeah. loved it, gracious. loved every part of it.
0: I mean, it does sound glamorous. There's no question about that. But as somebody who's done more than his fair share of transatlantic travel, I mean, I was always completely out of it when I returned from a trip to the States. I mean, I've been in business meetings, I kid you not. I have actually fallen asleep with jet lag. Mm. And be completely unaware.
1: Aren't <laughs> you crazy? I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, one of the stupidest things I ever did was uh, while I was on a an, just an overnight trip to Vancouver. Now it's a an eight hour time difference and a and a twelve hour flight and oh, flying my. back the next day. Yeah. And I'd been in Japan just three days before, so I couldn't have told you if it was New Year or New York. And uh, I came home with my suitcase and I bought a patio dining set, kind of plastic, kind of. Garden said, I lived up a tenement. I like, bought this garden set. It like sends you crazy. And but it's it's a it's a wonderful life in many ways. But it's I think it's a little bit like. And, and I, I've never been in those. But from speaking to friends, it's a little bit like I think the military or acting where you go into a bubble with a group yeah. of people and you live with them you know yep. it's a it's a very different kind of world so yep. it is a lifestyle and, and and it's great fun but it has its it has its very real challenges you know and um, loved ones have died while well, i've been the other side of the world and i've yep. not been there to hold the hands and i've missed christmases and and birthdays and and weddings and important times and uh you know it's, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a wonderful life. But I, I, I remained a very strong, trained unionist and, and, and still am and still a, a member of Unite. And, uh, you know, we've had many, many fights along the ways. But I, I believe it, it, it taught me the importance of collective responsibility, grassroots organisation, friendship, loyalty, yeah. dignity, you know, everything I think, you know, I learned about being a team. I learned
0: through trade unionism or people, you know. Um. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. I, I remember I did one trip just after nine eleven. It was virgin to, I don't know, it's somewhere in the States. And we were pretty much alone in the economy. I mean, I, I, it was a huge 747. Uh, and the cabin crew said, come and sit with us because... <laughs> Because there was just no one else around. So we all sat together (laughs) and they said, what do you want to eat? Because we've got masses of stuff up there, which we can't eat. And it was fascinating because it was two women from Glasgow. Mm. And their their discussion was about, you know, we both got mortgages very recently. If this continues looking at this empty plane, what's going to happen to us? Exactly. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was serious. It wasn't just a joke. I mean, this was because nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, we, this is before the Iraq war and stuff. It was just all of a sudden the place had closed down. And there are sort of connotations with COVID, it seems to me. It's like all of a sudden something happens. You're not prepared for it. What do you do? You've got commitments. You've got all these little things you need to be getting on with. But I want to come back and talk about the bubble, if I may, uh, yeah. because it, that, to me, that's fascinating. Do you see any similarities between politics being a bubble and the bubble that you experience? Because that's the way it looks from the outside sometimes.
1: Well, you don't have to live with uh, the people in politics, thank goodness. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, there is a, I suppose there's some similarities. I think um, Scottish politics, um, particularly Scottish politics on Twitter, is a very, very, very small, small group. That's a, that's a strange one I've never really thought about that no I, I don't actually think so I think I think it's quite different um I think that there is there's still within a political party that can be that that sense of comradeship in some ways but it's also it's also not as nice as flying. I mean, people aren't as nice to each other but people flying are all very lovely to each other everyone calls one another darling as well because no one else no one remembers everyone's name because you fly with someone different every week so uh, but yeah, no, no, I don't actually. I think it's only the sense of teamwork sometimes, yeah. but, but not, no, I wouldn't say. Um, no. Yeah,
0: because maybe politics is different and similar and different. Right? You know, you need to be cohesive as a government, for example, if you're a working politician, there are certain things you have to do, you have to stick with the rules, you have to, you know, there's a, there's a line, there's a whip. there's all the rest of it. And it's all there for very good reasons, except it's perplexing to people from the outside looking in.
1: Well, that <laughs> in trade unionism as well. You know, like so for example, I certainly didn't vote to go on strike six weeks into the company, but I, but I was expected to go on strike yeah. because it was for the benefit of everyone. And, you know, there's a reason for the word we use for strike breakers, scab, still collecting all benefits, the acronym. You know, the, the spoils are for the people who work hard for it and those who are prepared to put their their livelihoods and their... On the line for 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 betterment so there is a reason but tra- the, what the similarities i suppose is as you say the web or collective responsibility or whatever you argue your point behind closed doors yeah. you vote and then you stand together or yeah. you leave if you feel so strongly you know those yeah. are your options and if you didn't do that nothing would ever be done yeah you know um you're never going to agree with everything that someone else thinks, even in your own party, even yeah. in your own house, you know you're never going to agree with everything, but at some point you have to say, well, is this worth getting divorced for, you know, or uh, you know am I going to go along to get along, or you yeah. know where is my line and 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 we all do that every day in our home lives yeah. and any grassroots organization we're involved in even in clubs, golf clubs, brownies guys, you know you 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 accept. Yeah, so yeah. I think politics, I think there's a similarity in that level. There is very good reasons and I and I firmly I believe in them. You know, I I do, I think it's the right thing to do.
0: We have a question from Yvonne O'Donnell. She's saying, what are the SNP going to do if the internal market bill is passed with all the issues that are relevant to Scotland?
1: Maybe you can ask Nicola next time that comes on. You know, the internal market bill, look, it's a paragraph, we all know it. You know, what we do about it, we work hard and we make sure we've got a stumping win in May, and, and we get ourselves independent as soon as humanly possible. I mean, I, do I believe there's any meaningful negotiation with this Tory government? I mean, I, I think our team down there do the very best they can, but we know what's going on. You know, our, our MPs tell us regularly, they, they're banging their heads off brick walls, they're doing great things for the constituents, they're putting the case forward, but is there anything terribly much that can be done with a, a, a Conservative, a right-wing Conservative government that have uh, a
0: big majority. So, so what's the alternative then? I mean, a lot of people in the SNP, and we've had quite a few of them on the programme, yeah. have said, "Well, what's the point in doing it? Just sitting there like a bump on a log uh, at Westminster, hoping and praying that some change is going to take place, or somehow Boris Johnson is going to find God and become <laughs> ethical and respond uh, constructively to a vote in Scotland." They say, "Why should he look at his track record? Has he ever responded to people? He, he thinks about himself first, second, and third all the time. Why should he respond to any vote that takes place in Scotland?"
1: Well, I suppose it depends whether we're talking about independence or you know any of the other things we're doing. We're well, let's
0: take let's take independence because r- right now, as I understand it, uh, and we've interviewed Martin Keating recently, and he takes a slightly different view, as you may know, because uh, he is he was. He is pursuing this court case in the court session just now, which is I think is fascinating. But at least what he's doing is saying, look, you can't depend on this guy, Boris Johnson, to be sensible. You have to have some other mechanisms in place. What well, what's your take on that?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think anybody should be, I mean, in this I, I just don't think anybody would should tell the public and 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 the enemy for want of a better word. Their, their forward moves. I mean, that, to me, that's loneliness. Yeah, so, yeah. of course, this plans. I mean, look, Nicola Sturgeon has been fighting for independence since she was 16 years old, mm-hmm. you know, and under her her guidance and her time as leader of the party, we are closer than we've ever been. We can taste it. And we all know Westlands for politics in particular, and, and, the, work, and the chambers of all really works in, in parliament, in any parliament, the work's done in committee. We all know that the Chambers are showmanship to a certain degree. I feel that both our our MPs down in Westminster and a lot of the the work, I I totally take the point that a lot of what it's doing is creating a situation where it is almost impossible for Boris Johnson to say no. I mean, he can say no, but he'll end up looking like Trump saying I've won, you know, as if you believe in devolution, and I'm not saying Boris Johnson does, but nevertheless, we have devolution. Mm -hmm. And um, as the world looks on, you know, as the numbers for supporting independence in Scotland go up and up and up, and there's yet another election where the SNP, if they are, you know, returned Mm -hmm. on. Majority, even if they're able to make a majority government given the system of proportional representation here, but you know it is election after election, poll after poll, and we just keep on winning, and support for independence just keeps on growing, and it will just start to look like a bumbling idiot to the left of the rest of the world, and the the case is made, and I really do believe that it's not in any politician any gift to give a a a country. It's, its right to self-determination, it will be the people who decide. And as the numbers become much bigger, it is just something that will, to the rest of the world, will start to look lunacy if he keeps on stamping his feet. Yes, of course, he might still stamp his feet. And I firmly believe that that will be planned for and dealt with in the right way. What we're doing so far is working. You know, let's keep it. And every time Boris Johnson opens his mouth, the polls go up for independence a little bit. Why wouldn't we want him to keep doing that? He's he's doing a greater job than any of us could.
0: Well, we've interviewed a whole bunch of people who are not independence supporters. They've been guests on the show, and one of the points they make continually is pretty much their agreement with you, which is that I think the maybe the exception they make is they don't think that Boris Johnson will necessarily concede the point but they do feel, unless I'm mis, uh, misstating this, they do feel the case will be made. And there's a difference between the two. Yeah. <clears throat> in other words, in every other respect, the case is made, but the guy who makes the decision and actually changes uh, the process is somebody who's not within that sense of being making a moral decision. Because what you're talking about, what you've described as moral pressure, it's it's not legal pressure, it's not constitutional pressure because we have no constitution. It's it's in fact moral pressure, and then the, the question that is in a lot of people's minds is how will somebody who's amoral respond to moral pressure? And it's a reasonable point I would suggest.
1: Like, he's got a limited time, you know. Uh, now I'm I'm keen for independence. I'm a member of the SNP. I'm an independence supporter. I'm keen for independence as soon as humanly possible. But even if Boris Johnson stamps his feet, and we don't know, we just don't know. At the end of the day, he's a politician, right? And he wants to be re-elected, presumably. He wants his party to be re-elected. So if he's seen to ignore the will of the people, that then the media pressure starts coming on him as well. And I I do believe that... I don't think he'll he'll change his mind from a moral perspective as in him personally. I think he... Will be inclined to save his own skin, if you were, you know, and because yeah. the case for Scottish independence grows, and the case for Wales, <laughs> Welsh independence is mm-hmm. sort of growing. I, I think. Do I think he cares about it for our perspective or from moral perspective? No. Do I think yeah. he wants the Conservative Party to thrive uh, in England and continue to do? It? Yes. So I think he doesn't want to look like an idiot. The media le- loves to be on a winning side. And as a as moral case, as you say, for Scottish independence, the political pressure for Scottish independence, yeah. the media will start to change. They love to be on a, yeah. a, on a winning side. So,
0: Yeah, my, my sense of having talked to folks who don't support independence is that their thinking now is very clear, which is that the choice is not between the status quo and independence. The choice is between what they would call a very developed, uh, if I can use that term, form of home rule, might be called federalism and independence. That, that's the decision that I think they have reached in many cases, uh, which is that which is quite a significant move. I have to say, it may not appear that way to somebody who's in favour of independence, but for somebody who's always taken the view that, that a United Kingdom is, is central to their their world view, to talk about some form of federalism suggests something slightly different. Now, uh, as I pointed out. In my column in the Sunday National last week, the chances of federalism working in a in a, a country with a state with no written constitution, the chances of that are uh, zero. Frankly, uh, you just it just can't be done. And uh, no, even if you could persuade other people, it was an interesting people thing.
1: People who's people who talk about federalism in the UK, I would suggest. At risk of sounding arrogant, they understand neither the UK or federalism. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's it's, um, you know, no matter how many times they wee loop, Mr. Brown, it's, uh, you know, I think that ship's sailed. Also, just to, to put a wee final point on that, international pressure on any world leader is no small thing. We've seen it now with Biden and with Trump, and Trump does not want <laughs> to give in, and, and Trump is not a moral man. But international pressure and media pressure is such that he just knows he's done. You know, um, you know, uh, someone can only hold on for so long.
0: Yeah. Another question that's come in from Clayton Mack. What's the game plan? He says for us, we in the movement to engage with the SNP and push in a productive way to gain Indy.
1: Right. Well, I come to the SNP from yes. Now. I'm a day after the referendum SNP joiner. Like so many of the party, hmm. I hope, and, and it's, I don't think it's always been the smoothest journey. You know, um, I think we both owe each other a lot. They and I, I, um, I think we're coming into one party. I, I personally, my view is that uh, those who joined the party in 2014 owe a lot to those who were trapping the doors and rainy days and being Beautiful. shouted at and spat on and the less. But I also think those older members owe a lot to those new people coming in and swelling the ranks and traveling sure. uh, So, you know, it's a, it's a for beneficial, although not always the twain shall meet, or that seemed to be the case. For me, um, yes is very, very important part of, of the SNP. Come the day that we're going for referendum, and I don't mean yes in the way it was before, you know, like the official yes campaign. I, I'm not talking in that way. I think... This, it's always going to have to be the whole country coming with us uh, for independence. And 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 th- th- those of us in the SNP are very well aware that some people are voting SNP just now and they're sort of lending their vote, way near sure. to coin a phrase, uh, because they see the SNP, rightly, I feel, as the, as the way to independence. So I think for most people that voted yes in 2014 and people that have come since, they, it was for us, you know, I hear this talk of from some Labour people and some of, the, of this divisive referendum. To me, it was the most joyful, Scottish spring, happy. Um, I mean, I think of that summer, like you and you smile, you know, to me, it was the most, the fact that country engaged and wanting young children, and yeah, obviously I was on the, an inaugural member of Winfrindy. And I think that's such a hugely important organisation. Other organisations, I mean, we could reel them all off, pensions yep. for yes, yep. and taxis drivers for yes, and lawyers for yes, um, keep doing that. and. Those of you who are in these organizations, I would say pensioners for India, or you know, mm-hmm. if you've dropped away a wee bit, you know, as happens, yeah. people have grassroots um, activists have lives, you know. Um uh, not everyone's a, a political journalist or a, a a indeed a party member or a candidate, but drop back in, you know, it's and and do what you can. You have your obviously COVID it was the exception, but even online, join your groups, um, speak to your neighbours, speak to your families. You know, as, we, as was off said, after, in the couple of years um, post-referendum, if we can all bring one person with us, you know, we're there and then some. And I think these groups would be so important. And I think to remember, it's no small thing we're trying to do. We're trying to end the British Empire. We're trying to throw, overthrow the, un- the Union. It's a revolutionary act. So we need all our boots on the ground. So you yeah. know, hook back up to that wee group. Join back up with your own friend for your pal.
0: I think maybe what would help, and this is, this is a thought which I, I commend to you, if I may, is that if one looks historically at what you might call uh, independence or secessionist movements uh, across history, they're, they're always riven by um, dissension and people not agreeing, you know, the American Revolution. Would, We've Talked about in previous programs was Alexander Hamilton being shot, and then <laughs> you know, I mean? this is this is nobody's ever been shot yet, no joke. But, but there's always dissension. Everyone, many people feel there's different ways of doing it, and it's not happening at the right speed or in the right way. Uh, there's not enough communication, but what seems to work for most people, and, and the sense I get, I, I'm not a member of the SNPI, is The sense I get during these interviews is people don't feel nourished by the SNP and, and the Yes Movement. Now, you've made the point that people in the Yes Movement or people Sympathetic should reach out, but I would suggest to you, it perhaps has to be a two-way process. I the SNP should be reaching out. I would suggest, it's, it's easy for me to, to make these comments, but my thinking about it is, is to reach out, to say to people, we know you're sympathetic, we love you having you on board, and here are some of the things that we think we should all be doing together. It seems to me that a lot of that's happening on the Yes side, but I don't see a lot of it happening from the official part of the process.
1: I I'm am not sure right. I agree with that. Right, take Women for Independence. So I'm on the National Committee of Women for Independence. Now, I'm an SNP member, SNP candidate, and I, I sit on that board. So um, I am reaching out and I am joining and I am talking. Two SNP um, MPs sit on the Scottish Independence Convention. There's SNP MPs who... To sneak into every single organisation. And Nicola came along to the, the national rally in George Square that my my partner organised. Hamza spoke at that as well. I think MD can pick holes. Um, and I think there is this, um, and understandably so, the SNP are in this, and, and Nicola and the Cabinet, they're in this really strange position where they are part of a movement to commit a revolutionary act. Yeah. And they're also the establishment they the government. So um, that's not a difficult horse to ride both at the... It's not an easy horse to ride both at the same, saddles at the same time. And I think they're doing a pretty grand job. And even, obviously, again, this conference will be slightly different, but going to an SNP conference, and, of course, people can go as visitors, etc. There are... Now, I've been in the Labour Party before. um, My partner, Richard Walker of the National, he's been a, a political journalist for 60 years, I think, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> 40 years. Um, and he's been to all party conferences. There is no other party where the education secretary will stop and blether to you at the cafe. And, you know, in, in the Labour Party conferences, the head, the big high head hedges were wheeled in and limos round the back and brought onto the stage and reeked away again. Yeah, SNP politicians are very, very there and approachable and chatty and do their own Twitter. And um, I, I think they do give back. I, I do. Um, I mean, of course, people will always think could there be more? Yes, yes, there could be more. Um, there could always be more. But there could be more on both sides a wee bit. I think there's a, lot of, a wee bit of whinging and whining on both sides.
0: Yeah, yeah. Here's a different question. In the light of the uh, Lionel Barber, you know, has just produced his book uh, talking about his time as an editor of the Financial Times. Mm-hmm. in which he talks about a conversation he had at the palace with the Duke of York and the Chinese ambassador to the UK in which the Duke of York said the Queen is going to intervene in the independence referendum next week. Now, one of the results of that has been that a whole bunch of people who were vaguely uh, supportive of, uh, not supportive of a republic have now thought, well, I think I rather fancy that idea now in the light of what I now
1: know. What's your take? Do you think an independent Scotland should be a republic? 100%. However, I mean, I'm completely anti-monarchist and, and, a, and a member of a republican group. And uh, I'm definitely, definitely um, not of the view that we should have a monarchy. However, I think that's a decision for the people of an independent Scotland to make. Um, I don't think I should be able to inflict my personal will, if only. But no, I don't actually think I should be able to inflict my personal will. I think it's a decision, and I would like it to be a very quick decision after we we, we gain our independence. But I think it's a decision for the people of an independent Scotland. But for myself personally, uh, yeah, no, no royals,
0: no, no. Okay, how how would the people take that decision? Would there be a referendum? Hadn't really, yeah.
1: I I presume so. Yeah, Um, it has to be the people. It has, you know, it has. But we can't come to the people with everything. But I think getting rid of the monarchy is quite a, a, you know, it's a biggie. So
0: who would you? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, one value that a monarch has is as in the capacity of as head of state. Mm In other words, in most countries, there's a written constitution and there's a head of state. Mm -hmm. The reason for the head of state is that that person. Is there to referee? Should yeah. there be some constitutional Here, like pass and the politicians can't work their way out of it? Then there's a head of state. There's a place. There's somebody you can go to and say, "Look, we just can't work this out. You have to. You have to make a decision." Yeah, and that's that's. What. Who would the head of state be if it if it was a republic? Would that person be elected? Do you think?
1: Yeah, it would have to be. I mean, we've seen the Queen's completely ineffectual anyway. I mean, Boris lied to her. We all know he lied to her, and she you know did what she was wanted anyway so you know she's you know she's just a woman enough a a wee old woman in a fancy hat so I would argue that she's uh, irrelevant and uh, inconsequential other than the money her and her um, her brood spend rightly be directed elsewhere in my my opinion so yes it should be an elected head of state definitely and and I don't think someone in my this is just me sort of chewing the fat um someone I think that's Beloved by all, I don't think that person necessarily has to be a, a, a politician, you know. Um, it could be, could be anyone, you know, it could be Andy Murray, you know, <laughs> I'm throwing that out, he'd probably run for the hills. But, you know, someone who is respected by, you know, a lot of people, and maybe that could be part of the question as well. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Let's turn to something slightly different. The Home Secretary apparently breached the ministerial code by bullying people. Mm-hmm. And apparently she has a long and uh, dishonourable record in doing so, it would yeah. seem. And yet her boss has said, look, I'm the final arbiter here. And I, in my view, it was unintentional and therefore she can carry on. What's your take? Uh, do you believe there's such a thing as unintentional bullying?
1: No. I read all the, the, the tweets. People, don't, I'm not surprised her our boss says that. People bully down. They don't bully up. It's a power. It's a power yeah. move, and there was all these tweets saying, "Oh, look at her! This diminutive little uh, five foot something woman." <clears throat> yeah. That's it's about power. It is always about power, and she she misused her power. You know, if it had been up to me, she'd have been out so fast um, out the door. Unfortunately, it's not up to me. And billions, accept- well, there's, there's billion in the Conservative and Westminster government. There's, there's billion at national level, you know, uh, yeah. there's punching down at a national level. So it comes as no surprise. And just one more reason why we need out of this toxic union as soon as humanly possible.
0: Yeah.
1: It, uh, and some, that's a
0: piece of work. Yeah. Um, the, whole, the whole outfit seems to be morally challenged, if I can put it that way. Uh, now, the Chancellor the Schecker has announced today that apparently the situation for the UK uh, financially is the worst for 300 years. Do you think this is a good time to have Brexit?
1: No, it's never a good time to have Brexit. It's, just, it's absolute economic suicide. Again, vanity, ego, boys club, you know, and the, just tinged with a wee side helping of racism and, to say the least, fake nostalgia. You know, this... This phrase, "take our country back," you know, take it back to where, nineteen fifty, you know, and even then, this um, this whiff of um, you not know, all the green grass of Rupert Brooke type of nostalgia. What they yearn for didn't exist. It maybe existed for Boris Johnson and the, uh, um, you know, the big uh, lanky hen broon type with the top hat, you know, that, that sits beside him. It Maybe it's for them in the cloisters of Oxford University or the, the grasses of of Eton and Nanny and Mummy and uh, you know what was it he said the other day he's fit as a butcher's dog, you know, and he's uh but you know, flying his flag and the bunting, you know, um, you know, it's this thing that they're trying to get back. And and when you delve deeper to anyone and I um I've flown in 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 the, the case of my job, I've flown, there's quite a lot of the pilots, um. I won't blanket it, because it's never a true about everyone, but it's quite a a wealthy salary, and a lot of the the pilots and the captains come from a military background, and there is this kind of oh yes, and uh, that kind of uh, fly the flag and uh, the yearning for those days, and but when you dig deeper. Oh, you know, we'll take our country back. What is it you can't do as part of Europe? And they don't know. Even the, you know, even politicians, they don't know. They couldn't think. They can't tell you what Europe did. They've got some vague idea. It's, it, again, it was just a power move. It's it's economic suicide um, at the moment, and and yet again here we are yet another reason. I mean, they're making the case for us, as we said at the at the top there. They're 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 making the case for independence for us, but this um, worst economic system situation for three hundred years. Yes and no. There's still the massive amount of money for their defence budget that was found down the back of the couch the other day. You know, politics is just another word for choice, and. Uh, that government make foolish, stupid choices, um, yeah. cruel choices, cruel choices, they will always find money for their HS2, and they'll find money for their Brexit, and um, they'll they'll find money for the defence budget, and they'll find money for prisons, and money for jails, and money for drug wars, and money, you know, to curry into the states, they printed money for the bankers, you know, for goodness sake, but... We'll let the oiks starve. It, it's, it's just a decision.
0: <laughs> well, certainly, uh, the people who believe in uh, modern monetary uh, theory would suggest that they can print money any time they like, which would be an interesting debate for another time, perhaps. If you were to look ahead, as the Americans say, look down the pike, let's say three years from now, what do you think Scotland will look like?
1: Three years from now? Paint right? us a picture. Well, there's the one I hope. And uh, but I'm a I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. At the best of times, I would hope we've um, just had a a yes vote in our independence referendum, and I would hope we're well on our way with that uh, uh, question about the we're well on our way to the republic. Um, for me, it would look for me it would be an independent socialist republic of Scotland, um, where you know if uh, if you come here you're free here, you know, and yeah. where I think we would have um, a citizens' income. Um, we would, well, you know, that's a, it's a solid gold standard of the SNP. There's free mm-hmm. education. But more than, more than free education, there's free access to education and there's help for the kids that yeah. even the free education isn't good enough. The NHS is protected, solid gold, free point of use forever. Um, the, you know, there was that at the start of this now, if you mind if I take a wee sidestep, you know, at the start of the lockdown and everybody clapping for the NHS, I think it was recognised actually. At that point, for a brief little moment in time, it was recognised what was really important. What was really mm-hmm. important was nurses and bin men and carers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I hope in this uh, vision of mine, in this independent Scotland of mine, these people are well recompensed and they're valued just as highly as um, as uh, lawyers and uh, and economists and. Uh, Maybe not as high as Thomas, because I'm a journalist. <laughs> no, um, no but it, I think that this, um, the you know, it's a, it's it's not. I'm, I'm conscious of not trying to describe utopia here, but I have been I've been fighting for, in one way or another, for better for people. I think ordinary folk, and there will be no hungry wings. That's what I would do. I think that's the main thing. In fact, um my um I've got a fifteen year old daughter, she's autistic, she's fabulous, and she's been dragged along to far too many political meetings um for a child of, uh, of her age. And uh she's very, very funny. Um and uh she's actually quite good friends with Nicola Sturgeon. They're, they they get on really well. They they're both into books and politics. And uh one time she was at conference and uh, she was reading her book in the cafe, and I said, Are "You come into the speech." And she said, "Oh, it'll be the usual: ban the bombs, feed the wains. <laughs> and uh, I think that is, <laughs> yeah, and and it's a great line, and and it's one of I uh, we could do worse, couldn't we? Ban the bombs, feed the wains. We, we could do a lot worse than that. What about your
0: future? Because you stood as a a, a candidate, an SNP candidate, is that right
1: recently? Yes, and um. And and still will be again. Um, um yes, I stood for as a candidate um, in Kelvin where I'm from.
0: Yeah.
1: Um it was uh, won one by COCAB Stewart who will go on to take us to retain Sandra's seat, I'm I'm very sure, um, in the next um in the next election. Um, you know, that's the way of it. You know, you you put your you put your your stall out and uh and and the members pick for a myriad of reasons. And, uh, you know, CoCab will do a sterling job and keep the seat for us, I'm, I'm sure. And I'll be sticking my name in the hat for the list. Right.
0: <laughs> How does that work? I mean, do you just put your name forward and and hope that the local constituency will look kindly on you? How does it work?
1: To be a the constituency candidate or, well, the, or the list? Yeah. Or oh, the list. Well, the list is is chosen. There's a, a vote for every party member in um, every branch yeah. in, uh, in a region. So I'm in Glasgow region, for example. So okay. uh, all all the members of all the branches okay. in all the regions in all the areas in the yeah. region of Glasgow will all get a vote. Um, and it's a you know a single transferable vote system, yeah. and yeah. A, you know the the party will publish. It. Don't actually call uh, from 2016. If it's the top ten or the top twelve names or whatever, and don't,
0: uh, don't you have a, a particular challenge though if you're in a, uh, a strongly, uh, an one could say almost a formidably strongly SNP area? Yeah, the chances are of um, getting through on the list are minimal, surely. Yeah. They
1: are. Absolutely, yeah, you want I want to be in Aberdeenshire or something. <laughs> <laughs> south of like Scotland, but that. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's why though we have to emphasise both votes SNP. And I know a lot of people in other parts of the party, uh, other parties, uh, balk at that. And absolutely, other party members should follow their heart and their minds. Mm-hmm. But anyone sure. whose main aim is independence, um, we all know. Like, we all know it's so close we can taste it. This is the time. This is the election where we need to let um, independent sporting parties romp home. We really do, and and the SNP to romp home because it we're we're fairly sure. I mean, you know, only a fool would would take polls seriously. The only poll that really counts is election day. But it, you know, it's you know we're as sure as can be that it'll be an SNP government. Let's make them as strong as we as we humanly can. Um, and uh, and let's give them a a thumping victory. And the way to ensure that is 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 both votes SNP. This time, let's get over that line. Let's get independence, and uh, you know, and then the country will will blossom, and uh, you know, people will fall into their natural, you know.
0: I'm going to ask you a quick question, uh, which I've asked a whole bunch of people recently, never got a convincing answer, uh, but you might be in a better position to answer it because they. They were all sort of middle-of-the-road folks uh, politically in between left and right. Why do you think there's no right-wing or even centre-right nationalist party in Scotland as there is almost everywhere else?
1: Do you know, I don't believe in Scottish exceptionalism. I just think that um, there's been too much poverty. Um, I think right-wing, well, mm, aye, that's a good one. Um, you've got me thinking here. Um, I'm just glad there isn't. I think hatred of Thatcher runs deep um, in Scotland.
0: Um, Let me me tell you the answer that others have given me. Yeah. And and let me know what you think of that, please. We're almost out of time, actually, but uh, very quickly. The the answer I've had from most people is, it's just that the SNP are so adept at uh, incorporation. In other words, whatever people, whatever their motivations beforehand, People generally join the SNP, whether they're right or left, because the contention is I think the old cliche would be such a broad church. That's that's the answer. I don't find it wholly convincing, uh, because you would think then that if that were the case, people on the right would have had some modicum of influence mm-hmm. over, over the SNP's policies. There doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence of that. I mean, others will, no doubt disagree mm-hmm. and, and point to parts of their policies which are. They would say not left wing, uh, but by and large, most people looking at the SNP would see it as a, a left a leftish organisation. Yeah, is um,
1: well, it's a big umbrella, definitely. That's a yeah, you're right there. But I think you know, I think what's happening is you know nobody wants to split the end vote any further, right? Let's mm-hmm. not split it further. Let's not have any factions or this mm-hmm. pledge, that pledge, this group, that group. Eyes in the prize, you know, it, it, it is literally time we have our eyes on the prize. We're in the prize. We're in the final stretch now. Um, do I believe that there are some people who will probably feel more comfortable in a more senseless part of it? Just, I take your point. Um, it's not a left-wing, um, it's not a left-wing per se party, the SNP, I, I don't think that could be argued, but definitely, definitely um, social democratic policies and, mm-hmm. and left-wing policies um, yeah, yeah. rather than socially conservative policies. And as you say, where there are more right-wing people, they would have had more influence and that would have filtered through. There are some that uh, that are that are a wee bit more right wing than I'm hugely comfortable with, but you know this is not the time to be nitpicking and yeah. and uh, and out. It's time okay, to build exactly. together. Okay, okay. It's
0: just that elsewhere you would normally get a right wing party and a left wing party.
1: Possibly, right. it
0: would,
1: it in, possibly in possibly in in an independent Scotland we'll we'll see that, oh, that oh, rise. Oh. But yeah, I think
0: that's bound to be the case. Frankly, afterwards, because then what happens is people.
1: They find their natural home. They find their natural
0: home. Exactly, you say. Okay. Well, we're almost up. Thank you. I I know it goes fast. It really goes fast. (laughs) Thanks very much, Suzanne. Thanks Uh, for for the questions. Well, We've covered covered by far the majority of them. And a big thanks to Suzanne. A big thanks to all of you. And also, please, support Indie Life. The folks behind this show do it for the love of the country. And because they want to get the best information to you from the best people, and the TNT show is only part of what they do. So support them if you can. And remember, the Indie Live have a special What's On Guide. So if you want to look at some of the other things, apart from the TNT show, we hope you will always come here, there's a whole range of offerings. It's a cornucopia of material out there. If you go to uh, www.whatsonguide.scot, you'll find all about all the different offerings that that are there thanks again and a very good night